Hello and welcome to this episode of Doing Good Through Food, where we talk about catering and hospitality and how it can be a force for good in the world and for the people that work within it. I'm your host, Alex Coffin. My guest today is Andrew Etherington. Andrew is a veteran of the industry with a career spanning nearly 50 years. Uh, he started in hotel management, moved into contract catering and ended up managing flagship contracts for Sutcliffe Catering in the City of London. He was then headhunted to the oil giant BP and became their catering project manager, establishing new facilities across the UK, which took him out of direct operational management and into a more strategic role. And he then moved into straight consultancy and worked for two established consultancies before establishing his own practice, Andrew Etherington Associates in 2004. Um, and since then, he's undertaken projects for blue chip clients across a wide range of sectors, including schools, academies, colleges and universities, local and national government, and many more. Um, Andrew is a regular contributor to both the UK and international hospitality industry catering press. He's appeared on BBC World and News 24 TV. He's lectured at Sheffield Hallam University and contributed to the work of many hospitality industry bodies and committees. He's also a fellow of the Institute of Hospitality, a founder member of the Hospitality Network here in the UK and past chairman of the UK executive of the Food Service Consultant Society International. On top of all that, Andrew has a specific interest in ethical procurement, healthy eating and sustainability issues. Takes his green credentials very seriously, both in his practice and in his personal life, which is why we thought he would be a wonderful guest for this inaugural episode. So, Andrew Eddington, thank you very much for joining us and welcome to the show. Alex, a very good afternoon to you, uh, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. Um, it's only when you actually sit back and uh, listen to all of that, you suddenly realise that, uh, yeah, you have been in the industry for an awful long time, and hopefully I've uh, got something to give back to it. Absolutely. Well, he's, you know, I think people listening will be very interested to, to hear what you have to say with that range of experience, you know, over, over all of that time. So I thought I'd kick it off by asking about an area that I know is particularly close to you. Um, something I think you've written about as well as spoken about on a number of forums. Um, there is an obesity crisis in this country uh, and across much of the world, obviously, as well, um, which has huge implications for healthcare and a number of other areas as well, but healthcare in particular. What do you think is the role of catering in addressing this? I think the caterers have uh, got a tremendous amount uh, uh, to, to do. Uh, and uh, I, it all, never ceases to amaze me how much they will st they keep uh, churning out, uh, you know, food that everybody knows is unhealthy um, and they keep churning it out more and more. Um, I, I think we all have at our disposal uh, fresh food, fresh ingredients. Um, I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, class AAA, the best top quality ingredients, but mm. um, fresh food, seasonality, you know, all these things. Here we are now, we're recording this uh, at the, right at the end of August. Um, and, you know, I know um, that we are surrounded at the moment. We've got, uh, we've got apples, we've got fruit, um, you know, uh, we're almost at the what was traditionally harvest festival, the time of, uh, of uh, you know, everything bountiful. Uh, mm. But here we are still, uh, it's deep fried this, it's 
it's uh, packaged that, it's central production, the other. Um, and it seems to me that, um, you know, we are uh, relying too much on, on, on chemicals and processed food rather than doing what we should be doing, which is um, serving fresh food in season. Absolutely. I mean, you, you, are, you would have... Um... I suppose the question that immediately springs to mind is why does that still happen? You, the message is quite widely accepted. You know, we should be eating fresh food. We should be eating healthily, particularly in environments like schools and hospitals. Why do you see, why do you think that caterers still resort to that kind of approach? Well, the, uh, I mean, <laughs> Here we go. Cost is the is usually uh, what what it's uh, what it's put uh, put down as. I think uh, schools and hospitals are two different areas. I'll, I'll start with schools because I do, as you know, do an awful lot of work uh, in schools um, across the UK. Um, and school meals are one hundred and ninety meals uh, out of the whole year. Out of you know three meals a day, three hundred and sixty-five days um, a, a year, um, and the school meal is but but one meal in that. And I think the uh, caterers who work in this market are genuinely doing what they can to serve good quality fresh food. I think, I mean, it has been driven uh, by uh, government um, uh, regulation. Now we have the school food plan and schools have to conform, or the majority of schools. That's all the schools, uh, if you like, in the, you know, in the public sector. Uh, independent schools can do their own thing. But I do know uh, even there that, uh, uh, you know, the people are following uh, the uh, the government guidelines, which is on very much on a balanced, healthy uh, meal. Mm. However, um, the margins in the school meals market are incredibly low. Uh, any caterer will tell you, you know, two, three, four percent bottom line. That is what the caterers are getting out of it. So they're having to be extremely um, careful uh, in what they do. Um, and um, I will say, I do say, and I do see an awful lot of uh, good practice. I really do. But I do yeah, yeah. see some um, uh, slightly blurring around the edges, or more than slightly in some instances, um, some blurring around the edges of uh, the ingredients that people are using. Uh, you do still see an awful lot of frozen food, an awful lot of processed food. And I must say, and I will say, coming from the largest players in the market, and I will I will say shame on them for doing that. Uh, and I've got photographic evidence that this is what they're doing. And I'm not just being jingoistic here, uh, Alex. You know, this is, this is something that really does annoy me. Um, big companies, they make um, you know, uh, very good profits, at the expense of serving not good food, um, not the best food that they could uh, to our children. So uh, rant over. Uh, but uh, no, no. that is definitely what, what, what is happening. Um, in hospitals, again, um, something that we're seeing increasingly now is we know the NHS is, is strapped for cash and um, uh, that um, NHS trusts uh, make money where they can to balance the books. We've all heard all the arguments about, um, you know, uh, the cost of car parking at hospitals, etc., etc. But the, the new mega hospitals that they're building nearly all have a significant retail offer. 
and downstairs, because it's usually downstairs in the entranceway, you have very well-known high street names there, uh, franchised uh, to run their um, you know, retail operations, and the shops there are full of uh, sandwiches, fizzy drink, um, confectionery, all the things that um, do make people uh, you know, fat and blow me down. There they are in a hospital. And the NHS is costing or is spending how much on obesity and we know it's going to get worse. So there is a complete lack of joined up thinking there. Um, and I will say, I'm not saying we should all walk around, you know, eating lentils and uh, munching on sticks of celery all day long. But it's about balance and it is about um, good quality fresh food. Also, while I've got the bit between my teeth, I will say that the um, government uh, standards for school meals far exceed anything that uh, they have in hospitals. And again, you, one wonders why and this lack of joined up thinking that there is across government. And do you think that's something that they could feasibly introduce, that they could, is there any sort of structural reason why they shouldn't be able to have the same standards in the hospitals as they have pushed her into the schools? Well, although I'm not an expert on the NHS, I do know that um, uh, for all that they, uh, they say there are national standards, each trust basically does its own thing. Each NHS trust does its own thing. Um, and uh, from that point of view, uh, you know, they, um, the government can put as many, uh, you know, uh, rules in place but if the trusts if it isn't mandatory for the trust to follow those standards then they won't be delivered i see and do you think do you think that's what needs to happen there needs to be a set of standards that are mandatory yes i do i do most certainly simple as that well there we, and have you i mean i don't know if you want to sort of look at you know maybe answer for, for sort of schools healthcare, and others you know separately for different sectors, but have you, in your time, have you seen, obviously there are still issues with, you know, with frozen food and with, you know, with with unseasonal food, but have you seen improvements generally? Do you think there's a general trend, uh, oh, you know? That yes, I do most certainly. Um, I see uh, an awful lot of school uh, meals, tenders uh, coming in, and I monitor a lot of them, um, and... I think every company operating in that sector will proudly say we are a fresh food company. Um, whether that uh, amount of fresh food uh, is is um, re realistic or not, um, or uh, well, I think realistic is probably the wrong word, um, uh, whether you can be is believable or not. Um, but certainly upwards of 85% of the food going onto the plate has been prepared using fresh ingredients. That is now what the market expects. And um, any caterer who isn't doing that doesn't stand much chance of winning business. So I think the market forces in the education sector are very much um, you know, leading the way. Uh, and we are seeing some uh, really um, good uh, results from that. Uh, and this is also now being extended. Schools are looking at uh, uh, or needing to uh, extend into after school clubs, breakfast clubs and so on and so forth. 
And there is a big push now, especially in the uh, less affluent areas uh, and those areas of uh, uh, deprivation uh, for what's called hungry holidays, which is feeding the children through the school holidays. So, again, they're not being you know, sent out with 50p in their hand to go and get a pot noodle. They're actually going somewhere where they're going to get um, a, um, a, a good, healthy meal uh, and a balanced meal. So I think the education sector is is delivering well. On a negative note or sad note, um, the school food trust that was set up to uh, get uh, good food in place and good food standards in place, um, they have lost their funding and uh, they will they're shutting down uh, any time now. Uh, you know they they are no longer going to be there. And I think if there isn't that uh, pressure group there um, mm. leading the way. Um, it's not only a pressure group, but I mean, you know, they, they've delivered the standards, set the standards. If that is um, or when that has gone, uh, then the market will be poorer uh, for it. And it will be very much up to uh, the uh, the sector, the industry and consultants uh, like me and uh, others who are working in the sector to ensure that those standards are maintained going forward. Absolutely. So the the um, the School Food Trust, that's I mean, that's the first that I've heard of that is that were they were they centrally funded is that yes yes they they were were government funded they were uh, I think the unfair name would have been a quango um, but um, they were um, one of the um, uh, there were many many of them uh, similar organizations that were set up with central government funding in order to drive improvements through in all sorts of different areas uh, not just on school food but uh, no, they were very much set up um, to, to do this. Um, they worked very, very closely um, with um, the uh, government to establish the school food plan standards, which followed on from the old, you know, that was led by uh, Jamie Oliver's uh, famous Turkey Twizzler intervention. The government put standards in place. Um, and they were actually um, a little bit um, driven by the academics in terms of the uh, nu- nutritional analysis required and so on and so forth. And the, the School Food Pla- uh, Trust uh, very much led uh, a more common sense approach, which was towards a balanced diet using seasonal uh, produce. Uh, rather than um, relying on how many milligrams of uh, potassium or something might there be in a, uh, a, a, a you know a said dish, because we all know if you have one extra potato or you have one less of something, the whole balance of the meal is gone, um, and your nutritional analysis out of the window. So it's all very much about um, bringing common sense um, and sharing best practice. Um, and that now, um, I'm afraid, is something that is gone. Well, we'll we'll have to do what we can to make sure that uh, that doesn't get lost entirely. <laughs> exactly. Just the other thing on that, just to come in and say the one thing I was uh, that I had forgotten that was very they were very instrumental in helping to establish was um, universal infant free school meals. Uh, I was, was I was the, just about to, to ask you about there that. There we actually. go. Because you were you were you were very involved, as I know you were yeah. um, closely involved in rolling that out and developing it, and and you know make, making sure that that was a success. Um, so I wondered if you wanted to you know perhaps talk a little bit about that, and particularly in the 
Um, I wonder if you might touch on recently there was a they were they were under threat um, of sorts. You know there was there was talk of that being removed. I think that threat is now off the table. But there was um, a proposal, at least, that uh, rather than the free school meals, that there would be a breakfast option instead. Um, I wonder if you could just give me your thoughts on that and and uh, what the yeah. effects of that might have been. But, but most certainly, I mean, universal infant free school meals. It was. Um, it was a. It came out of um, the uh, coalition government, uh, Conservative and Lib Dem, and it was actually a Lib Dem um, policy. Uh, and I'm not getting political now. I'm just stating the fact. Mm. It was one of their policies, and it is or was to um, uh, provide all children in Key Stage One, so that's a reception year one and year two, the smallest children, the infants, if you like, uh, provide them with a, a a hot, nutritious meal every single day, uh, every single day of the school year. Um, it was a great uh, success. The uh, When it was uh, introduced or announced, uh, it, I think they had something like four or five months to, to make it happen. It came up in something like the April or May, um, gosh, was it four years ago? And um, it had to be in place by September. So it was all at a rush. A lot of schools could achieve it because they had kitchens already. The big um, uh, barriers to success were those schools where either they had no kitchen whatsoever or the kitchen was and or dining room were too small. And uh, under the um, uh, School Food uh, Trust, uh, the Children's Food Trust, I think it was called at that time, they, keep cha- they kept changing the name. But under that trust, um, they, they were tasked with driving the Universal Infant Preschool Meal uh, process through. And I was uh, one of a, a panel of, I suppose there must have been about 30, 40 of us across the UK uh, who, if schools had any problem whatsoever, they could get uh, our fully funded services to help them uh, establish um, a, a viable catering service in time for the beginning of the new school year. Uh, it worked extremely well and um, there were some great successes. You had, um, as I say, some areas, some counties that uh, the schools there had uh, very adequate facilities. Others, for example, like Buckinghamshire that had traditionally taken away um, school kitchens, suddenly uh, things had to be put in place um, so that they worked. Um, And that was a it was a great time of, uh, I think, everybody working together and to a common purpose. And that, again, is something that is perhaps being uh, being lost now. But it was, uh, it was a great initiative. And the um, level of uptake of uh, school meals uh, and in the universe, in the um, infant sector, um, government uh, set a uh, an aim uh, of 87% and most schools were achieving that easily uh, and you know up to 90% of the children having um, a free school meal. Obviously one of the ideas behind it was uh, a to feed children but also to get them used to or getting them into the habit of having a school meal. Uh, when I was at school albeit many years ago it was the norm you had a school dinner you know that that's what you did, um, and um, it, it, it in more and more um, p- children have been allowed to bring in packed lunches and choice and so on and so forth, and it, I think it's led to a watering down of the the school meal as being part of the school day. 
but uh, Universal Infant Preschool Meals was a great success. As you say, um, at the, um, the last general election, not the snap election that was called, uh, but the last general election, um, as you were, in fact, it was at this snap election. Uh, it was one of the um, things that was mooted by the government that they would actually cease um, that the funding uh, for universal and for preschool meals. But they didn't. They actually did one of their um, a considerable number of U-turns. Um, and we are so pleased that they have actually um, kept that funding in place. And um, the levels of uptake stay at the same level. Absolutely. Sadly, uh, it hasn't um, carried through really to the older children. Um, it has to a certain extent, but whereas we were getting 45 to 50% of the uh, older junior school children taking a meal, that's now typically up to 60, 65%. Um, but certainly uh, it's not uh, at the high levels that everybody hoped for. There was, wasn't there talk um, at a point of extending universal free school meals out, out of the infants to, to, to address exactly that, to, uh, to get yes. the uptake in, in older children improved as well and, you know, sort of carry that through in, through their education. Most, most certainly that there was, um, I mean, that would have been, uh, you know, a, a great thing. It would have been, it would have posed, um, I think yeah, even more problems, and we know how much, how many problems there were just to get the infants uh, levels, uh, you know, uh, the, the infant schools, um, so that they could cope. Whether the facilities are there, and it's not only the facilities, it's also the staffing um, and the impact that will have on the school day, uh, I think um, yeah. they are the, the implications of that are quite radical. And for all, anything is possible, and I certainly believe that, I think um, that it was felt that that was a step too far um, to, to go universal free school meals, uh, um, dropping the word infant. Um, I think that was deemed to be um, a, uh, a step too far. Do you, and would you tend to agree with that? With the, obviously, moving away from a... A school meal, there's um, and and you know into packed lunches or whatever else. That's that's where the sort of unhealthy food is likely to sort of creep back in, and you know, sugary, more sugary things, less healthy foods, all those sorts of things. Do you think it's? Do you think the benefits of the of the school meal would be enough to justify the um, difficulty the, well, the upset? This is where I have a bit of a that there is a bit of a um, you know a, a conflict there because for all that we are serving uh, you know, good fresh healthy meals and we're offering them um, to uh, all children the a the level of uptake uh, isn't isn't as high as we were we were hoping for and actually because there is choice um, there we do still see significant uh, a number of children who would rather have their jacket potato you know with or the pasta dish every day rather than a a, a full meal and um, we do struggle in many schools uh, to get the children to eat salads and um, to have you know all of the the, the vegetables um, it's it's more than just the food on the plate it's the, it's the whole 
um, healthy eating education, the holistic approach to it. And I think the school meal is only one part of the holistic approach to, um, ed to a wider education uh, on healthy eating and also a wider availability of foods that contribute to the whole healthy eating agenda. Absolutely. Okay, well, perhaps we, we've, we've spoken quite a lot about healthy eating and, you know, in, in particular sectors and, and how that works. Perhaps, I know another area that's very important to you is ethical sourcing. Um, and I wondered if you might just give us some general thoughts on how we can, as an industry, source our food ethically. Um, is it possible to, to do enough to... Um, save the environment <laughs> how, how long is that piece of string i, I think well wow. uh, well this is it alex i mean we all well, we all know um, you might, must must never use generalities what is happening now is that our fields are uh being uh, loaded with chemicals fertilizers um uh, pesticides so on and so forth and for all they might not do us harm you know, individually the heart the harm they're doing to the the whole environment is immeasurable it really is and uh you know we are seeing um uh, fields that are um just uh, you know the 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 soil the state of the soil the condition of the soil uh the runoff uh from um you know, into uh streams from the fields full of chemicals um the overuse of of nitrates because it's become a bit of a spiral um the more you use the more you have to use to uh, keep the you know to keep up the uh, nitrogen levels um around here where I live in Kent they used to the 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 cycle used to be that you would um sow in the uh, in the autumn um the uh, crop would grow through the winter and then you'd harvest uh, in in the autumn you'd you'd plow uh, the um uh, you'd you'd plow the um, what do you call them um uh, fields back in um, and the, um, I'm, I'm getting a little bit lost, but what I'm trying to say is uh, the traditional use of fields using the, sea, the, the cycle of the seasons is being lost. Mm. Um, and uh, we're not following the seasons. We're trying to do things differently um, and um, returning the goodness to the land is something that, that doesn't happen. It's all about taking we're not not giving anything back now, and that's um, presumably that's being driven to a large extent by our eating habits, by the demand for unseasonal <laughs> unseasonal well, food, by by that that sort oh, of... oh yes, and it is being driven by the economics of marketing. Um, it's funny how these things happen. But here I am. I'm, going, I'm using the word Brexit. Uh, I wasn't. <laughs> uh, I didn't want to, but I mean. The, the whole Brexit debate, and that this has been something that's been aired, the whole model of farming, the whole financial model of how farming works, uh, the massive subsidies, every farm now relies on subsidies. Um, mm. And I think that is uh, 
driven by the whole supply chain um, because you look at the uh, vegetables that farmers grow that are rejected by uh, supermarkets. Now, no farmer wants his food to his food to be rejected by uh, supermarkets. They want to sell it. Of course, they of course they do. That's you know that's common sense. Um, so they are um, they are forced by the um, supply chain to put more and more um, chemicals into their fields, onto their produce, in order to produce the, in inverted commas, perfect uh, vegetables that the supermarkets are, that will, uh, that, that, that only the supermarkets will, will accept. Um, and I mean, I bought some carrots uh, the other week. They were, I think they were about always about 18 inches long and they were called sweet carrots or something. You eat, you eat, you taste one of those. They taste nothing like a carrot, you know, but they look lovely. Um, and I, mm. I do think that the, the whole supply chain and especially the supermarkets do have a lot to answer for in demanding um, this, um, uh, you know, um, unblemished, um, uniform fruit that doesn't taste of anything, but it looks good on the shelves. I'd, I would now, agree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to square the circle of what I was saying about the whole food education, uh, there is a whole, uh, you know, the, the today's generation, they buy, they don't buy their food in the, in the green grocers, the green grocers on the whole, you know, by and large, people buy it in a supermarket. And you expect to see six tomatoes in a tray, all looking exactly the same colour, the same shape and the same size um, on a supermarket shelf, rather than knowing, as I do, because I've got a greenhouse full of green uh, cucumbers, uh, sorry, of tomatoes at the moment, they're all different shapes and sizes, you know. Um, mm. And if the expectation is that um, food has got to be uniform, everything the same, um, I mean, why do we... Uh, encase every single cucumber in plastic. What the hell has that come from? Um, uh, so if the supermarkets were to accept a, um, a, a more diverse product, the farmers wouldn't be throwing away nearly so much food and um, they could take from the fields um, food as it comes out of the fields and sell it rather than trying to create food that conforms to a standard and ending up relying on subsidies like you said yes. yeah yeah so yeah. Well, it seems like there's a, a an education element to it doesn't there that there's a, a need yeah. if there was if the public were demanding it you would think that the supermarkets would follow you know Follow the money. <laughs> like uh, well, exactly, Alex. And I mean, the other mm. thing is, you know, this whole thing I touched on earlier about joined up thinking. The NHS is costing us millions, and we know that obesity, um, diabetes, all these uh, ailments are costing us a lot now, and are going to cost us even more in the future. Wouldn't it be better to spend some money on health education, um, real, you know, spend some real money on that? And therefore, save the pressure on um, the on the health service and save the health of the nation. Uh, it seems to me it's a it's a no brainer. But I know it will be different departments' budgets that they haven't got, um, and um, maybe that doesn't win votes. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting cynical in my old age. <laughs> yeah. No, surely not. Surely not. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it it does it does seem like. It seems obvious um, when you say it in that way, doesn't it? It's uh, 
it's perhaps if the you know the leading with education is the way to to go. So uh, yes, very much so. And I think there is yeah. there is a drive, you know, to put cooking back onto the curriculum and so on and so forth. But that again is just relying on the schools to do the job rather than relying on society to do the job. And I think there is a um, a massive piece of work to do to to change. Uh, people's views to change the views of society um, rather than you know expect a school or a teacher to do it uh, and I know there is this whole area now about nudging people towards having different attitudes and I think they could spend I think the government should spend um, quite a bit of time nudging people towards um, understanding um, healthy eating um, uh, why it is important and also making healthy food available to people at, um, at, at um, you know, at affordable prices, because it tends to be the poorest part of our society that suffers most um, from uh, from uh, obesity, overweight and unfitness, if you, there is such a word. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and, um, I want to be respectful of your time today, so I, I, I would... There are a number of things that I'd love to talk to you about. Um, one of one of them I would like to I just generally ask you about is you, among the many roles that I introduced at the beginning, you are also a restaurant ambassador for the Clink Restaurant at yes. HMP High Dam, um, which I just wondered if you could explain to the audience what, what the Clink is, what exactly it is that they do. Yes, most certainly. I would love to. The Clink is a charity. It started at um, uh, High Down Prison, Sutton in Surrey. And basically, it is a, um, there are now four or five Clinks. They are commercial restaurants built inside working prisons. The whole idea being um, to give um, serving prisoners the opportunity to gain their city and guilds in food preparation and food service. Um, and it was started by a guy called Al Krisky, who was the catering manager, the prison catering manager um, at High Down Prison. And he saw that uh, prisoners working in the prison kitchen had a great potential that wasn't being found or wasn't wasn't being uh, released. Um, so he set about doing training for them. But he did realise that when they left prison, prisoners um, or people need jobs. And you only get jobs if you've got support. You only get jobs if you've got qualifications, somewhere to live and so on and so forth. And this is what the Clink has been set up to do. It provides real-time training, and these restaurants do run um, there uh, on a, a commercial basis. Um, the uh, Clink uh, restaurant in Brixton Prison um, is uh, one of the highest on TripAdvisor, rated on TripAdvisor. Um, the prison restaurant at Cardiff Prison is uh, Leeds uh, TripAdvisor in Wales. And the number of graduates, as the uh, guys are called when they've got their um, uh, qualifications and have been released, are now working in all sorts of uh, top restaurants. As a restaurant ambassador, my aim uh, or my role is to get potential employers to come 
and um, experience the clink, to eat the meals, to see the prisoners, to understand that because somebody is in prison, doesn't mean they've got horns. It doesn't mean that they are, you know, they're going to stab you when you're not looking. Most people in prison are there because they've made one or two bad decisions. The majority of them are there because um, they of their uh, social circumstances. And within the clink, if we can give somebody um, marketable qualifications, we can demonstrate to an employer that um, they are worth employing. And on release, uh, the clink gives support to prisoners in terms of finding them somewhere to live, um, setting them up with all the things that we take for granted, bank accounts, national insurance numbers, all of the expectations that are there. If we can mentor those people when they leave prison, then the chances of them uh, reoffending are um, significantly reduced. And uh, typically, uh, from the clink, uh, from the various restaurants around the country, the the um, the reoffending rate is between ten and twelve percent. Whereas in the prison uh, population as a whole, it's upwards of sixty percent. People go back inside um, prison uh, within a year. The clink's not only about um, giving qualifications, it is also about my favourite topic, would you believe, fresh food. Um, at um, the uh, Send prison near Guildford, which is a, a women's prison, there are polytunnels galore and they produce there a lot of the food that is um, then used in clink restaurants. Um, most clinks, uh, most prisons have got um, their own little smaller local polytunnels for, um, for those um, vegetables that they can produce on site. And would you believe in Wales, they even had a, have a herd of uh, Welsh black cows uh, that um, are then slaughtered and the meat is used in the prison. So the whole thing, again, it's this holistic approach um, to, to healthy, healthy eating, healthy food production and general well-being. Um, that uh, this is what the clink uh, it uh, gives. Well, it is, sounds like a wonderful scheme. Is really giving second chances to to people that, like I say, have made maybe maybe a, a mistake and found themselves in an awful situation. Yeah, very much so. Very much. Absolutely. So. Have, have you? Has that been an easy message to sell to the people? Is it, it, as a restaurant ambassador, have you? Has it ever been difficult to? Oh, oh, yeah, that's across well, I think people. it was at first. I, I think the clink is now gaining uh, such a reputation that most people in um, the um, hospitality industry are aware of it. Um, and it's not only the, um, you know, we're not only talking about um, hoteliers, restaurateurs, so on and so forth, but the, the, the whole of the industry is behind it in terms of you've now, you've got um, most of the equipment manufacturers will have donated or given heavily discounted equipment when each of these kitchens is set up. The whole training um, side of it is one that is being, um, uh, you know, is, is, is very high profile. Um, there was recently, well, in the last couple of days, there was a charity golf match at um, uh, Celtic Manor um, down in South Wales. Um, and... Um, the chairman of CH and Co played his round of golf for the benefit of the clink. So the clink has got a really, really high profile, um, and it crosses um, all areas of the uh, industry. I think there are still you always will find 
uh, those employers who are reluctant because they um, believe that uh, people are in prison only for stealing. People go to prison for all sorts of reasons um, and um, they they shouldn't, uh, employers shouldn't be reluctant um, to consider somebody and giving somebody uh, a second chance or a leg up back into society. Well, that's, like I say, I couldn't agree more. I think that's, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, I, the, the industry, you know, it, it, as you were just saying, it can be a very supportive and inspirational sort of a place to be very focused on developing. I just wonder, sort of more generally, um, how do you, how do you think that we encourage or should encourage the best people into the industry? How do we, uh, where do we get the new, the next waves of talent? Where does the talent come from? I think, I mean, where does it come from? Yeah, well, topic of the moment. Um, um, The whole Brexit debate is predicated on uh, that the catering industry um, uh, is the source of employment for uh, many, many people coming into this country, especially from Eastern Europe, and what is going to happen when the um, barriers come down. Um, Mm. I think that in some ways, employers have been a bit lazy. This is a bit controversial, I know. Uh, but I think some employers are, have been lazy in um, they've rubbed their hands. They've, they've found for the last five, ten years a source of um, uh, cheap employment, uh, cheap willing employment. And where have all the training schemes gone? I came through a management training scheme with Trust Houses 40 Hotels uh, way back. There are no such things now. Uh, But other people, Grand Metropolitan Hotels, all the big hotel groups had management training schemes. When I moved into contract catering, one of my first roles was as a regional personnel and training manager. And we had, I had in my patch uh, uh, in Hampshire, I had about 40 trainee chefs all at different stages doing their uh, city and guilds um, uh, qualifications. Where have all these training schemes gone? Uh, I, th- I think employers, as I say, uh, they, they have been uh, lazy in a lot of ways. We're not seeing the uh, training schemes. We're not seeing employees develop their own people. And I think this is what they're suddenly going to have to wake up to, the fact that they're going to have to develop their own people because there isn't going to be this ready-made pool of um, workforce um, or talent out there in future. So the this, the schemes, you think that's really the, the key of it, reintroducing schemes or is there uh, another way of another way of building? Um, no, I, th- I think I think um, uh, introducing training schemes. Um, I think uh, as a country we need to be understanding, and I think there is the kernel of this. It, this is starting to happen now, but um, it's, it's very very um, uh, topical at the moment. It's the time of the annual A level and um, you know, GCSE uh, results coming out. academic achievement is deemed to be everything Um, and I am a great advocate um, of a more vocational uh, route. 
I suppose it's because that's the route I came uh, myself. I, I'm not an academic person, but I think if you work hard, you apply yourself, um, you uh, and um, you 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 learn, and you have the right attitude to work, then I think um, that um, the vocational route is one that is just as valid. And I know they've done a survey of uh, senior management and you know, how many of them, um, when they're looking back on their careers, uh, as opposed to where they are now, how many of them thought they would come into the hospitality industry um, when they first uh, left um, you know, their schooling, no matter what level of schooling it was. And it's something like 10, 15 percent. You know, that was what their career was going to be. Um, and um, what we're, um, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my track just ever so slightly at that point. You, you uh, just, like, I'm sorry, you were just telling me about, uh, telling us about um, the yes, level of yes, people, the uptake in I was telling you, yeah, uh, about our, our own industry. I think the vocational route uh, is, is a really important and valid one. And um, I do think that um, a, a lot more work needs to go into our industry saying uh, saying to the marketplace, look, you know, this is a very valid um, uh, industry. You, you can achieve an awful lot in this industry by working hard and applying yourself. Uh, you don't necessarily uh, need uh, a whole raft of qualifications behind you. I think that's a really, it's a strong message, isn't it? Particularly at this time of, you know, high tuition fees and everything else. You know, if, if that's not yeah. for you, you know, but you want to work hard and get on, this is an industry that you can achieve in. You can, there are options available to you. Very much so. Very much so. Um, and uh, you, you can you can learn by by experience, and uh, and you can advance on the basis of that. Absolutely. And staying with that, I suppose our our um, audience or a, a key kind of part of it is is people that are quite young in the industry, and uh, you know the the hope is that we will give them a lot of uh, give them blueprints of ways that they could develop their careers and. Um, ways they could move forwards but um within a career uh there are going to be difficult times and one of the things that i want this podcast to do is is talk about how people have got through challenges in their careers what they learned from them and you know what what others could take from that so I'd, i wondered if there's something you could tell us whether there's a particularly difficult time that you experience and and how you got through it yeah i think well, the big message, the big underlying message uh, that I, I will always say is give it a go. You don't know about something until you've tried it uh, and never be afraid of and never be afraid of making mistakes. We all do make mistakes um, and nothing is really ever as bad as you think it is. Uh, in my own case, I, um, I always wanted to have my own delicatessen always did um had a delicatessen i found a shop i opened it ran it with my um then wife um and unfortunately uh, one night uh, it burnt down and that was the end of my business now a lesson in life is another of my mantras is um always um have sufficient insurance if you're starting a business 
Uh, I didn't, and uh, my business went um, down the pan, and um, I I was uh, bankrupt. Uh, I make no secret of that. There's plenty of successful people who have been bankrupt. I became bankrupt, uh, mm. and I also lost my marriage at that time because the, it couldn't couldn't take the strain. And I think the um, the, the message uh, to come from that is that. Uh, Yes, although nothing is ever as bad as it seems um, uh, at the time. Yes, you 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 do think it's the end of the world, but you can um, brush yourself off, you know, and uh, you do actually come out of it a stronger person because you've been through those bad times and you know what bad times are like. But unless you try, you've always got to have dreams uh, and you've got to strive for those dreams uh, if you want to. And quite often going out on your own, taking that first step, it is, um, you know, a very daunting step. But don't let anybody put you off from, from doing that. That's, well, that's an incredible message. The It must have been a really a, incredibly tough time. When, How did you begin to rebuild from that? Um. Mustn't be afraid to to ask for help. Uh, I, I think, um, and you be, would be surprised how many opportunities uh, will will come at you. In my case, I left uh, that um, that whole thing with everything that I owned in a a Sainsbury's uh, carrier bag, um, and uh, you know that was I think the low point of my life. But um, I I stayed with with with, with friends. And um, I went off and did just, you know, anything to bring some money in because that's what it's all about. You can't you know, sit around. I ended up working in a local supermarket. Um, and then I saw an advertisement for duty managers in a London hotel. And I thought, well, do you know what? I could give that a go. Um, took a little bit of plucked up courage. And I answered that um, um, advertisement and I got back. Uh, I got the job as a duty manager in the hotel. I believed it was way below me. But within four months uh, in that hotel, the owner had a country house hotel. Um, and he said to me, I want you to go out and manage my country house hotel for me. And there I was, albeit, you know, six, seven months um, after what I thought was the end of the world, I was managing his country house hotel because he could see beyond what I thought, you know, myself, I was a failure. He could see beyond that. He gave me that chance. And, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't looked back since. Um, and I will say I, uh, I met the lady who I'm still married to 28 years later. She was the sales manager in that hotel. So it's an ill wind, uh, that, uh, blows, uh, you know, no, nobody any good. And, um, that is my message that, uh, at the time, you think it's the end of the world. It's the worst thing. It is stressful. Um, but nothing is ever as bad as it seems. And if you do pick yourself up, you'll be surprised. And if you get a job, it, surprise, it will surprise you what comes out of that. That's, I, I think that's wonderful. Thank you very much for sharing that. I'm sure that will mean a lot to somebody that, that hears that. And, uh, yeah. No, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. I, I feel like we, we could, I, there are many topics that I would still love to talk to you about. I am aware of time. So I, I, I feel like we could 
do an entire another episode um, with the, the things that I could ask you. Yeah, maybe, maybe we could, yeah. maybe we could sort of down the road do another another one of Alex, these. Alex, I would um, welcome the opportunity to. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, I'd welcome the opportunity to do another one. Definitely. Okay. Well, thank thank you very much again for coming on the on the show, and I've I've loved having a having this conversation as well, and um, I hope that it's been very useful enlightening inspiring for the people that are listening as well um so i will i will leave it there and just say this was doing good through food and thank you for listening thank you andrew thank you